Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind focuses on mentorship. I have to say goodbye to an awesome leader and an awesome mentor of mine, the Honorable Dr. Thad McClammy. But I've been blessed not only to learn from his wisdom. I was a legislative aide in my undergrad and worked with many civil rights icons, which which actually got me to work with the Honorable Dr. Thad McClammy. We talk about his childhood and upbringing, his learning as history in the making is happening in civil rights and what he learned not only as a child, a young man, many of the protests and human rights situations that were going on then, they kind of mirror what's going on right now in legislation. We're still fighting for voting rights, human rights on many levels. So we see good trouble, activists, marches from kids to you name it in the streets right now, fighting for civil rights, human rights, all rights that we all deserve. But he talks about some of the things he sees for the future, too. This will be a three-part series with Dr. McClammy. And um, though it's painful to say goodbye, we can take many of these wisdoms and pay it forward. This awesome interview with Dr. McClammy and I coming at you right now. Dr. Thad McClammy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're in the midst of uh, winding down the Selma to Montgomery remembrances in terms of the chronological, um, the marches, and then the march really people don't know was to get to Montgomery. We always have the biggest celebrations there in Selma. Um, tell us who you are, where you're from, and uh, what you do. Well, uh, I'm Thad McClamey. I'm a native of Alabama. Uh, my home is in uh, a rural area, which is uh, Monroe County. Uh, specifically, I guess the community was Beatrice, Alabama. Uh, that's about oh, 100 miles south of Montgomery and about 50 miles southwest of Selma. So it's in the neighborhood. It's in the neighborhood. Selma, Montgomery. Yeah, it's in the neighborhood. A lot of action happening back in the uh, the uh, times of the 60s as it pertains not only to civil rights and public accommodations, but voters' rights. And I know that you were a kid back in those days. What was it like after the whole Rosa Parks um, era of getting the public accommodations well, in the bus? You know, um, like I said, in... That predates me a, a little bit. You know, most of us was the, you know, 1955. I was still in high school in rural Alabama at that time. And, I, you know, a lady came to the Montgomery area after 55. You know, I, uh, the fact I said left in the Monroe County area in, uh, 19, right at, you know, 1959 because I was fresh. I started college in 1959 at at that time, it was Institute of University. So uh, even though I was only 16 years old, I had become emancipated by the fact that I was performing the role as an adult. I was, you know, taking on the, um, well, I said exposures, not necessarily the responsibilities of an adult, but at least I had exposures of the adult. 
you know, at 16, and I was in college. And so um, that gave me somewhat of a little different perspective. Um, Did it have I, a ripple I, effect yeah. through Alabama? Did any of her actions have a ripple effect uh, in the different places, including the place where you were at? I'm sure you'd heard about what was going on. Well, actually, uh, the act, you know the activities of the bus boycott in you know in 1955 really set the standards for the um, what we call the modern civil rights um, activities all over Brown versus Board of Education uh, was one year earlier, but by the fact that it was somewhat removed from Alabama, it didn't have the impact on those of us that lived in the state and. Uh, all on 1955 was the, not only the um, this this start of the bus boycott, but also I believe the NBC chief television affiliate channel 12 on W um, our, you know the locust also started. So we had the advantage of uh, of being a local television started at that time. So everyone that near that lived near Montgomery. Got the exposure on television, so that you know that kept us up to date. And basically, I, I think the thing that happened it, it sent a message, particularly towards a lot of the smaller uh, communities, that you know through unity a lot could be achieved. You know, in your community, just like it was in you know in the Montgomery community. So it did have an impact, particularly those of us that were you know that were in college. Uh, you know, we. Uh, you know, became more aware of the advantages of the uh, voting activity. In fact, I was, you know, one fortunate ones. I was, you know, when I turned 18, I was, you know, I was able to register in my hometown. I don't, you know, plus my parents registered to vote, et cetera. And so that's one of the things that in some of the communities, communities in Alabama, even in the uh, 50s, uh, there were pockets of black voters uh, in the community. It, it, you know, it depends on the, the makeup of the communities. If it's there, the black space was in the majority. Um, you know, and had some degree of independence uh, that had that made a difference as they, you know, their uh, ability to register to vote. So, you know, I was forced to be from one of those families where my family, you know, I was born in a, basically in a, you know, in a vote, in a vote household. So, uh, but at the same time, we knew the advantages. We were able to share the advantages with those that had not uh, had the opportunity to become registered voters. So, you know, we had first-hand experience where, hey, it does work and it can work to your benefit. Even though, even the success of the um, bus boycott, a lot was tied to the fact that Montgomery probably had more than the average number of individuals registered than some of your urban cities like perhaps Mobile, Birmingham, and Huntsville. Uh, because you had leadership in you know, Alabama State College at that time, and that was one person in particular. We called him Coach Lewis, who was a football coach at uh, Alabama State. Um, he had pushed the voting rights uh, agenda for a number of years, starting really in the 40s. You know, So he was way out. Uh, with that, and uh, it made a difference in the mindset of, the, of particular Montgomery and surrounding communities. The dangers of registering to vote, uh, did your people tell you about that, that danger of uh, 
uh, you know, registering to vote. Well, surrounding counties, the, the, the danger was more apparent because I was persons that had encountered, um, you know, physical um, backlashes. Uh, that was some even thought that uh, ultimately, even though it may not have been as blatant that, well, the person lost their life trying to register vote, but in any instance, lives were lost, and many people knew the underlying factor. Uh, there were counties, um, over, like counties like Lyons County, Wilcox, and such, where basically there was no, there was no other register vote. You know, and so we had those pockets in counties like like uh, Montgomery County, Monroe County, and even Macon County, where Tuskegee Institute was located. Uh, so, even though we may not have encountered those things ourselves, we were aware of the circumstances around and those that did in the communities that did not, uh, was not accommodating in some of the other counties. Hmm. A lot of action happening, bus burnings and other things. Uh, when did the influx of people come into Alabama to start registering people? Because I know that the Freedom Riders and other people did visit through the South. When did you first hear about them? Well, the, I, I guess the, the first advent would be uh, in 1960. That was primarily the, the events associated with the, uh, the lunch kind of city and basically it started in uh, in the North Carolina area, Greensboro in particular, North Carolina area, Chief College basically, and they did um, those activities extended into Montgomery uh, in 1950 uh, in, in the uh, lunch counter in the uh, Montgomery County Courthouse. Uh, the activities with the uh, uh, with the lunch counter sit-ins uh, basically led to the landmark. Uh, decision of um, New York Times versus Sullivan, you know, which is still the standard for the freedom of speech today. Uh, this was was an effort that was led by a number of students at Alabama State that uh, were ex- expelled from college, and basically they pursued it and was able to, uh, you know, get readmitted uh, to college. And then following 1964, before you got the decision, um, in March of 1964, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, did rule in favor of the uh, Sullivan. Well, there was an appeal on Sullivan versus New York Times. New York Times took the appeal, so the decisions, you know, officially is known as uh, New York Times versus Sullivan. Now, the, next, the following year, 1961, you had the uh, Freedom Riders, uh, here again, this was uh, again an initiative starting in the uh, uh, in Carolinas and et cetera, through Atlanta into uh, uh, Addison, Alabama, where uh, a load of primary again college students and others were uh, testing uh, some of the, uh, the new uh, civil rights uh, initiatives and. I think the famous thing there was there was a burning of, of a Greyhound bus in Addison, Alabama, and and I think another bus picked the group up running to Birmingham. And you had a problem, the loss of another Greyhound bus, and uh, I think a, a bus load uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, 
on a Troy Airway type primary that came through, picked up, uh, made it pick up, uh, followed the bus into Montgomery to the Greyhound bus station, and there was uh, a lot of violence uh, upon the arrival of the bus at the uh, at the Greyhound bus station in Montgomery in 1961, May of 1961. I think that was kind of the... Uh, Introduction of Congressman John Lewis. Uh, he was a student at that time uh, in a, a seminary in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. But uh, he was beaten very badly along with you know several others at the Greyhound bus station in Montgomery, Alabama. Wow. And, uh, and uh, one of the things that came out, uh, well, a couple of the things, is that Montgomery was already what we call a uh, a civil rights town. There was a kind of a uh, standing strategy of um, Monday night mass meetings. So one of the Monday night mass meetings that were held um, pretty close on the date of the arrival of the bus, of the bus at the Greyhound station, and uh, that was an encounter where the federal government actually had to call out the National Guard for the safety of of uh, the citizens that were in what was the uh, First Baptist Church in Montgomery, who was at that time was uh, pastored by uh, Reverend uh, Ralph David Abernathy. That was his church in Montgomery at that time. Um, basically, that was a mass meeting on behalf of the Freedom Riders that had been beat at the Greyhound bus station and the uh, local plans. Uh, so I was at the church, and and it was everybody was trapped in the church, and ultimately Dr. King and others made calls to the White House, and ultimately the National Guards were sitting in to escort the persons that were trapped in the church out. Uh, however, while that group was still in Montgomery, that was on the bus that was uh, that was uh, destroyed in Montgomery, and that, that was a Second event, uh, there's a case known as uh, as Lewis versus Greyhound, where they actually um, tested the uh, the, um, the the right to eat at the lunch counters. Now, basically, the uh, the trip with the uh, with the but the bus was dealing with the riding of the bus from you know uh, from one state to another, and then that was the second case. While some of the ones were still recovering, like John Lewis, that they tested the the right to be served at the uh, the restaurants within the uh, the bus station, and that's a, again a landmark case, like St. Louis versus Greyhound, and of course the. Of hell, the right of individuals that were in a, that were in you know in route that they had the right if they were riding the bus they had a right to eat at the uh, the lunch counter so the restaurant in the bus station so that was a um, you know the something that we still enjoying the privilege that was uh, that was established here. Um, in Montgomery in nineteen sixty one. I was wondering about the well the unity 
it's a different day and time today, and many generations, including mine, cannot even begin to think about uh, what segregation was about, really, truly about. So there was more unity uh, within the communities that you had to band together. Do you feel that that was a major, major player in why things got done? Well, I mean, that was the key to it. Uh, number one, starting with the uh, like uh, you had a commonality of uh, you had a commonality among individuals that were actually uh, you know using the bus you know so they had that in common and so whatever the decision made that if one stopped and everybody stopped by now uh, at the same time that were other individuals and communities that did not necessarily ride the buses, but they supported those by providing rides to them to and from their, you know, their points of employment or shopping or going to school or whatever. So it was an event that brought people together, and, and that was the standard that, that was set because there nothing, you know, the event had taken place on that level with that many people it together for that long a time. I think it was something like 381 days or something like that. Right. And right. That's a long so, time to, to really just stand together. Yeah. And, um, I, and, uh, and really the reality of it is uh-huh. there hasn't been anything since then. Wow. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was the times before segregation, uh, before integration, the segregated times uh, that where people had to, to stand together. In the 1962-63 period, we are getting, uh, you know, information, or your generation especially getting information across the black media and media in general, the New York Times, about heeding the call and really uh, Dr. King supporting students and people who are taking a stand to not only register people to vote, but we had a lot of uh, public accommodations where blacks just could not congregate. They couldn't go to certain stores. They could not go to certain lunch counters. They couldn't, you know, even the, the, the bus stations and train stations, you know, airports, they were segregated. Different times, as a student for you, uh, what were you told and what did you experience? Well, basically, um, as a student, you know, we didn't have, I guess, as as much as state as heads of households, even though some of us, you know, were employed. But at the same time, uh, we didn't have the pressure on us that, you know, you were going to lose your job or something like that. And... And many of the students were not from the communities like Tuskegee. Or and in fact, um, in 1962-3, um, I was, um, you know, I had transferred from Tuskegee to Montgomery, so my base had had changed. And naturally, I had, uh, although I had been a college dropout for a couple of those years between uh, 1960 and 62-63. And uh, we had, you know, seen a lot of the changes, not just in the South, but in other communities. And uh, we had had uh, some experiences with it. 
And uh, so, by, and by being in Montgomery, Tuskegee area, Selma area, um, as we communicate with, with young people in other sections, we brought a, a different type of experience, even though we may not have been from the larger communities like D.C. or like Detroit or like Cleveland or like Chicago or New York. Uh, but we had had, we were from communities in the South that had a lot of, a lot of, uh, success. And so a lot of people, you know, wanted to hear, well, what, you know, what, what, how did y'all do it down there and that type of thing. So that gave us a, a lot more confidence than those that, that had not had the experience of facing all, particularly like in Birmingham. Uh, where you, and even in Montgomery, you had, you know, church bombings during the, the boycott. Um, you had home bombings like Dr. King home, uh, Dr. Abernathy's home, uh, the Gretz almost home, got a bomb went off and blew the house up, but it blew a big hole up, you know, in the front yard. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was a different level of exposure of those of us from the southern cities like that, that, uh, you know, we we were, I guess, kind of immune to the danger side of it. We knew that there was a lot at stake, and that um, that you whatever you did, that was a, that was a quite a bit of a risk. But it's something you had to be committed, committed to that you were willing to put yourself, um, you know, at, at risk to participate. Wow, wow! In their beginnings of the boycott and the 1965 uh, leading up to that, what was life like? Because I know that through student channels, you're hearing information probably before the masses and in people banding together in terms of students, student groups and whatnot. You know, there's a certain energy and certain whatnot. Did you ever meet John Lewis personally? Did you ever meet many of these individuals personally? And what All the time, impact? these were, uh-huh. you know, like I said, John Lewis was a college student, um, you know, at, at his, you know, in 1960. And in the, uh, in a chronologically, uh, you know, we talked we talk about the uh, Freedom Riders of 1960. I mean, uh, on the, the, I'm sorry, the city-ins of 1960, and then, the, uh, then you had the uh, riders in 61. Now, then you had the, uh, you know, the, the count of other community participation like Birmingham. Birmingham became, you know, more on, on the radar, uh, you know, like 1962. Uh, and then in 1963, you had the, uh, you know, you had the march on Washington. You know, this was a, Dr. King, uh, this was a, uh, I had a dream situation because he was pushing at that time, uh, President John Kennedy had been elected and, and Dr. King was pushing him for a massive, you know, to come forward with, uh, civil rights legislation, voters' rights legislation. Mm-hmm. In 1962, 1963, and basically, in order to amplify this call, the you know the Great March in in uh, August of 1963 uh, was held in you know in uh, in Washington D.C. You know, with the what we call the the, the call for justice 
or I ever dreamed of things that got to change share to the world at that time. You know, what is it and why is it that, that you know, this number of people is in Washington, D.C., you know, and what do they want? So that's basically where he laid, laid uh, his case out. Um, like I said, that was in August of 1963. And then in September 15, 1963, you know, you really had what we call the horror of the world, and that was the uh, the church bombing at the 16th Street Baptist Church um, on uh, September 15, 1963. I mean, this was one of the four black girls were killed in their church on a Sunday morning, and that set out uh, the reality of how the horrors in America, you know, existed, you know, and just set the tone for that. And and, uh, and and it was so close to the the I Have a Dream speech that Dr. King had just given, you know, not too many days before in Washington, D.C. And, uh, in fact, I remember in in 1963, I, I, I was a plenty uh, in the Omega South opportunity and on the uh, on the day that that President Johnson, I mean President uh, Kennedy, was assassinated, uh, you know we we were online and, and basically we we felt that well, my God, the president had been killed. And, uh, we know we were going to be crossing the burning sands on that, mm-hmm. and you know, and that wasn't true. You know, we were inducted into the front fraternity at that time, but. At that, as at the time, um, November uh, the 23rd, 1963, that the world began to see what was becoming unmasked in America. Uh, that not only was the key of killing children in America, in Birmingham, Alabama, and not only uh, that you had other uh, atrocities from hangings and everything in community simply because people wanted to vote uh, people wanted to be able to travel and stay in the motels and the hotels like anyone else and when you buy gas that you could use in a bathroom or you could use you could drink water from you know from the water fountain that type of thing you know begin the world begin to see America for you know, from a side that no one realized or was ready to accept that was a reality. And I'm sure so, it had to be embarrassing for America because those images were beamed across the world. I mean, they were beamed and, uh, everywhere. And you know that that was probably the person that evolved. Um, after the assassination of, of uh, President Kennedy was President Lyndon Bain Johnson because he was not the logical person that most people would, would envision um, that would make such a difference in the one that would have picked him out up uh, from where um, President Kennedy and you know and became you know some of the. Uh, Civil rights legislation of 1964 uh, would begin, you know, to uh, you know to to come forward, and and then ultimately uh, with 
with all of the, you know, when you start networking, many of the uh, the initiatives start with the book, but uh, then fast forward into the uh, the lunch counter sit-ins and the um, the freedom rides and then the assassinations, because there were, you know, other persons, um, you know, during that time that, uh, you know, you start looking at some of the people. Like, um, you know, Roy Wilkins from the NAACP with the young, you know, a lot of those people began to encounter um, changes in their lives. And so it became more uh, not only a national agenda, particular after the, um, the Birmingham, you know, the Birmingham bombing and the, uh, the assassination of uh, President uh, Kennedy. Uh, you know, America was never the same, you know, after that. You had a lot of people that were killed, though. You had many people who, in in the southern states especially, that were were killed. You had Damer, who was killed. You had Vernon Damer. You had a lot of uh, individuals, even Malcolm X. Well, you had, well, in in 19, you know, after the... uh, the assassination of, of uh, President Kennedy in, in 1963, and then, you know, 1964. I believe you had the, uh, you know, the um, the young people in in Mississippi, um, you know, and so, and in those states, I mean, Schwerner, yeah, Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman, Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman. Yeah. You had a lot of people that were, you know, so. yeah. And then basically, uh, the I guess the shot that that started the uh, what we call I guess the war in 1965 was you know was the uh, was the killing of Jimmy Lee Jackson um, in uh, February of uh, 1965. He was he was shot in uh, early February, I think about the 16th or something like that, and before the end of the month, uh, you know, he died, and that that was the impetus. For the uh, the Selma to Montgomery, voters' uh, rights march protests that originally started on the concept that there was a need to take the body of uh, Jimmy Jackson or the casket with the body and to take it all the way to Montgomery and put it on steps with a petition to the then Governor George Wallace, uh, who was the governor of the state of Alabama. They had, you know, that, that black people in, um, in Alabama was not going to continue to wait for their voters' rights, and this was the, was really the shot that started the, um, you know, the the wall of the on the ballot for the ballot, and uh, so. But he again, as you look at those and and digress in a minute, even. Um, before the start of the Montgomery bus boycott, you know, that was the murder of Emmett Till. Emmett Till was uh, also, the bus boycott started in 1955, but Emmett Till was killed in the summer of 1955. So he, you know, his death had uh, a lot to do with the success because a lot of people in Montgomery, even though the bus was the target, but the death of Emmett Till was very was very alive in the minds and the hearts of the people in Montgomery, Alabama. And so it's unfortunate that in many instances that the death of children and death of young people was really the spot that started uh, many of the landmark events. 
Hmm. I'm going to throw something out. We're talking about the voters' rights and why these things um, came about and the uh, struggle to have them come about to better the lives of people like myself and in, in, in multi-millions over the last 50 years or more. But many of the people, African Americans, that were able to help, you know, were not just poor African Americans. There was a target about, among upper middle class and middle class African Americans who could actually fund and send money like the Vernon Damer and, and others. Uh, and that actually helped the African American community. Can you talk to that? Uh, we did have a, a black middle and upper middle class also that was able to help. In fact, some of these people were able to pay mm. poll taxes for people who could not afford to because there were poll taxes uh, for people, uh, you know, to vote in many southern states. I guess the beginning of the assembly of that class of individuals perhaps started um, with the, um, the voters' rights. Um, event. Um, you know, one of the things that's still in the mind of many people was um, after the um, the conflict on the bridge um, in 1965, there were people like Harry Belafonte, entertain other entertain entertainers. There were people like Ralph Bunch and others that um, banded together across the United States and they were able to bring forth and then you, you had some of the traditional organizations like the NAACP, the uh, American Civil Liberties Union, uh, the um, well, not just NAACP but the NAACP Legal Defense Forum primarily and so a lot of these organizations brought forward um, a lot of financial support to help keep the uh, the flame burning uh, in these communities and and uh, then you had a lot of religious groups because you know in speaking of the tragedies uh, you look in addition to Jimmy Lee Jackson uh, whose death really started the uh, the the, uh, the British Crossing Initiative um, upon the the uh, interruption of the march on you know on March 7th, uh, 1965, there was a second march that started the uh, Tuesday afterwards on, uh, that was the 7th, 8th on, on uh, March 9th. That was what they call, I think, called the Turnaround Tuesday. Uh, Dr. King uh, came to Selma because of, you know, Dr. Dr. King was not in Selma on March 7th, 1965, but he he came uh, after the, uh, the conflict on the bridge and and started off the bridge. And prior to that, he had put out a put out a call to America, particularly to the clergy of, of all denominations and all ethnic backgrounds, that they need to take a stand on the side of right. And a lot of people came in during that period between the Sunday of March 7th and the Tuesday of March 9th. And after that second march, the turnaround, there was a uh, was a white priest that was also killed in when it was killed in Selma. Um, yeah, Jim Reed. You know, in that same week, uh, Joab Reed. Uh, and as a as a result of his death, that 
sent out a lot of call across the United States for clergy to come and to join. And um, and then fast forward and from the the uh, the murder of Joab Reed in Selma. Uh, at the end of the, the march from Selma to Montgomery on the very day, that on the end of the march, on the 25th of um uh, of March, uh, Viola Luzzo, who was a white uh, housewife of Detroit, who was the wife of a union leader um, in Detroit, was also killed. Uh, she was killed transporting um, marchers and uh, supporters from Selma to and uh, back to Montgomery. And so that was three, and then after that, I think maybe about three or four months later, that was a a number of white clergy person, uh, Jonathan Daniels, you know, was killed because he was the ones that came. He was one of the ones that came down like Joe Abreed, and he chose to stay behind and continue uh, voter rights activities, and uh, he lost his life in Hainville, Alabama. So a lot of these were, the, you know, was a lot of violence that continued that also sparked support from uh, many religious denominations and many of the uh, other type of organizations like the AFL-CIO, like the United Artists Workers and others that continued to support the cause. And then there were many, many college students that, was all, that also came south during this time that ultimately was arrested in places like Montgomery and in Selma and in Tuskegee. And um, so their parents and communities continue to uh, support the movement. You know, even today, you'll find a number of the families. I know the Bible News, our family, has constantly been engaged in the struggle ever since the death of them, you know, their mother. Um, wow. So, uh, Wow, I um, read up. I don't know if you're familiar with Harry T. and Harriet Moore out of uh, Florida. They were uh, NAACP um, officers, uh, national officers for the Florida area, and they were bombed uh, December 25th, the 25th anniversary on December 25th, 1951. They were the first NAACP uh, uh, officers killed. Uh, when I say, you know, a husband and wife, they were firebombed. They were firebombed on their 25th anniversary yeah. in in uh, Brevard County, Florida. And like I said, you had, you know, in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, or you had, uh, I think it was Jackson, Mississippi, but Mega Evans, he was the NAACP leader there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was killed in his driveway. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure the particular date, but all of us in the same time frames. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't know if the if the counts were, you know, really known. It, you know, you you have probably as many casualties or more than some of these walls that we've had that were legally, de- <laughs> you know, officially declared. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a number of the people. Um, there was no records of many of the hangings. There was no records of many of the, of the shootings. Or in many instances, um, the true reason um, was, you know, was not um, identified. And you know, we talk about the uh, 
you know, the assassination of the uh, of President uh, Kennedy, and then after that, uh, you know, going into um, the after the enactment of the Voters' Rights Act on uh, August. 6, Accommodations uh, uh, bill was signed along with the voters' rights, and um, because there were three of them, and of course, you know, a right to vote. So there was there was a trilogy of legislation that was passed uh, well before King and Kennedy were killed, and we're still fighting well, well, to keep the voters' me. rights. We're still fighting for public accommodation, and even after they died, we had this little bus situation where. They had to pass another amendment to the Constitution for, you know, desegregating the bus system. Uh, how much more? I mean, we're, and we're still having to renew the voters' rights. Even today, it's it's uh, crazy. Well, it was a time, you know, in the now, when you look at... Um, like we talked about, some of the some of them are not as blatant. You know, when we talk about the, the leadership of America, particularly the black leadership of America, the number of the people that did not get their attention in their deaths. You know, when, when we talk about, um, you know, when the young, know, when we talk about, you now I know these people were not, you know, killed with the blazing bullet, but at the same time they died during this time, and another person who whose life was taken during that time was Malcolm X. Right. Um, you know, you know, he, you know, by Malcolm X, I, I don't think that that the, you know, the tragedy of his assassination, um, you know, took center stage because at that time it was kind of commingled into many other acts of violence that was going on. But here, you know, uh, Malcolm X had emerged. Uh, in a leadership role and a, a leadership and a leader of of substance and influence um, that um, you know so there's a lot of things that so many things happen so fast I, I I think it's not like when something happened this year and it's three years later but from that whole you know period of time that we talk about particularly um, you know from nineteen um, 1960 uh, through um, 68, you know, done. What I said, done. What's it? 1960, 1970. You know, when you you were to take in inventory of the violent things that occurred in America, and also I think one of the things that that got, got kind of got diluted in the process that was you had the advent of the Vietnam War that was going on and, that, and many people feel that that Dr. King stand on opposition, in opposition to the Vietnam War was probably the thing that was more prevalent in the uh, assassination of him rather than the initiatives on the voters' rights. 
Hope you enjoyed part one with the Honorable Dr. Thad McClammy. We will be having more with him in the upcoming weeks. This is Building Abundant Success. Copyright September 2021.